If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. In the last two episodes of the Leading Learning Podcast, we did an after-action review of the Leading Learning Symposium in October. And so with this episode, though, we get back to our interviews with CEOs um, that are in the association world focused on the business of lifelong learning. So Jeff, you had a chance to talk with Bruce Clark of CAI. That's right, and I've known Bruce for a number of years. I first met him a while back when CAI, his organization, was looking to do some blue ocean type strategy work, and so we came in and and worked with them on that, and I've always thought of both Bruce and CAI as as very forward-looking in uh, their perspective on on membership models. In fact, membership models was at the core of of the work we did at that particular point in time, but then how learning fits into that, and not just education sitting off as kind of a revenue model on the side, but truly how does learning integrate into the overall membership proposition. So I was very excited to, be, to have the chance to, to talk with uh, Bruce and, and get his perspectives on, on learning now. We know they do a number of interesting things at CAI. In fact, a, a number of times uh, I have recommended to organizations to take a look at um, the, the management advantage program that they have. In fact, that's something I even included in, in leading the learning revolution, and we'll include a link to it here. I think that's an excellent example of telling a, a strong value story and developing a strong brand for the organization and for the organization's learning products. But in this interview, we focus not so much on the, the management advantage program that CAI has, but on uh, topics like peer learning, which is uh, really core to what CAI is doing right now with its learning programs and how it's thinking thinking about going forward. We talk about the role of, of community. And then, of course, we dig into the, some of the same types of questions that um, we've asked other CEOs in this podcast, you know, around uh, what it really takes to lead learning in the particular sectors and fields that they serve. So always, uh, you know, great to have a conversation with Bruce. And this is, you know, we're happy to have this one documented here for the, the world to hear. Yeah, it sounds great. So let's take a listen. Jeff Cobb with the Leading Learning Podcast, and I am very happy to be joined today by Bruce Clark, who is the President and CEO of CAI. Um, Bruce, welcome to the podcast. Hello, Jeff. Good to be with you. Well, thanks so much for taking some time. This is, uh, as you know, part of our continuing conversations with chief executives at uh, associations to get their perspectives on uh, learning and, and education. And uh, before we dive into getting your your viewpoint on that particular topic, can you tell us just a little bit about uh, who CAI is, who, who you serve, what you do for them, that sort of thing? Yeah, sure. We're a 53-year-old nonprofit employers association. So we serve employers with literally between two and 20,000 employees with workplace information advice, learning, uh, development, and compliance assistance. And uh, because the market really has a lot of employers in that 50 to 500 size range, that tends to be who we serve the most. And we're really trying to help them do two basic things, either, either or both, minimize risk that they have in the workplace, trying to keep them in compliance with the complicated and myriad and thousands of rules and regulations around the workplace. Uh, And secondly, uh, work with them to maximize employee engagement, whether that's at the 
uh, first uh, level, entry level in their workplace, or it's with their managers and supervisors in their workplace, but, but engage that workplace to do the best that it can at what it's designed to do. So that's a, that's a really kind of a brief summary of, of who we are. Well, great. And I know, I mean, one of the reasons I know you in the first place is because you were somebody who was focused on, on learning and development, and, and we've done some work with you uh, in the past. And I, I know you've seen a lot evolve with uh, your, your membership model, your business model, um, the, the kind of value that you represent out to your membership base. H- have you found that, um, that learning and education, I mean, it, has that role evolved? Uh, has it become you know, more important o- over time in terms of your overall value proposition? Yeah, I, th- I think it has. We've, we've been in some form of learning or training in all of our 53 years. What we found in the last uh, eight or 10 is that, uh, in, a, in a broad sense, uh, workplace learning, particularly around soft skills and manager soft skills, has really become uh, some form of peer learning. So even in our, our classrooms, our facilitated peer learning style, we run uh, peer learning groups that are specifically recruited and assembled groups of 10 to 12 professionals with a facilitator that meet monthly, less about a topic and more about the issues that are on their plate. Uh, even at our conferences, we're using peer learning techniques where people are learning from each other as much or more as they are from any sort of a subject matter expert. So, yeah, that has become our model. We 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 uh, we walked and tiptoed into it, and it really has begun to affect and impact every type of learning that we deliver today. And so, you then play a role in in helping to facilitate uh, that that learning. Is is that uh, the value you're bringing there? Yeah, it really is that. It really is about the process more than it is, uh, at least in terms of soft skills training, more about the process than it is about lecturing or about what we would have done 50 years ago, which is get out the uh, literally the overhead projector slides with the, the bullet points of the 10 ways to do X, Y, or Z. And this is really more about pulling those those ways and those methods and those you know, the ability to transfer knowledge and experience from one person in the room to another in a way that they're going to accept it much better, which is peer-to-peer, and it's experience-based rather than advice-based, and uh, people receive that better. I, I think, unfortunately, as humans, we learn the best, and we learn our best lessons and our most important lessons by making mistakes. So uh, if you can be in the room and hear hear from others that have made mistakes and share yours as well, uh, that's part of that peer learning process too. Mm. And, and have you have you found any resistance to that? Uh, you know, because that, that's that's putting yourself out there. That's taking a little bit of a risk. And I know we've seen and you know some of the things we've done at Tagoras. It's you know, that can make people uncomfortable sometimes. You, do you find that people are fully engaging and taking advantage of those learning opportunities? Well, I think that it's, it does a couple of things that are good and a couple of things that are difficult. The, the good is that uh, there are many people still looking for and really in search of and, and having a hard time finding it, that kind of real in-classroom personal experience and really to try to transform behaviors of themselves or of their team members and not just to uh, you know learn information that they might uh, pass a test on. And so there are a lot of people looking for that, and I think it's become less common as there are virtual delivery models out there. So it's good. It's good that there are a lot of people are looking for that. Uh, I think the the bad is it does take time. It takes time. It takes commitment. It takes some some dollar commitment on the perspective of the attendee. Um, it's hard to deliver that same impact virtually. That's something that we're struggling to find a way to do. Mm. 
to to try to blend other methods to use an overused word that blended learning to do to find ways to have that same experience with with some virtualness in the process. Right. I think I think that's tough. So it's good uh, and it's bad. I mean that's we 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 believe so strongly in it and it's and it's our differentiator. It's uh, it's a gap that we found that we're working to fill. Whereas if you um, you know if you want to run a more traditional classroom or more traditional electronic delivery of, of training, uh, you know, there's plenty plenty of people out there doing that, and we really didn't want to swim in that red ocean. Yeah, yeah I, I knew you were going to use the term red ocean as soon as you were <laughs> in that direction right, there. Right, so, right. Now, so this is these more sort of, I guess, focused, uh, smaller group type peer initiatives, but um, I know, too, you've it, it seems like from looking at your website, kind of following you over time, you've tried to expand out into the idea of the, the, the membership as a collaborative community, and I know you've got you know an on- online community uh, going there. How, how does that fit into your vision of learning and, and, and the type of value that you're trying to deliver as an organization? Well, certainly ideally, and the ideal is what we're marching toward. Um, we're not there, but the ideal is that you've got uh, any time a, a member or an organization that you serve has an issue, has a has a challenge, a problem, a hurdle, or an opportunity that they've never faced, and they want to share an experience that they could choose the mechanism they want. They could go virtually through the membership community. They could go back to the peer group that they themselves are an individual member of and meet uh, monthly, uh, approximately on. Or they could come to a, a topic-oriented session that's more like a class, but still uses the peer learning technique in the class. They could pick any of those kinds of resolutions, or they could call. Uh, literally, another form of peer learning, call somebody on our staff uh, for a one-to-one conversation about the, the problem or hurdle that they face. And, and in, in that sense, it's also peer learning because it's the, the best advice is experience-based advice. So we're really trying to make that, that experience um, in the ideal scenario available in several different avenues. What we find uh, today is that some people gravitate more to one avenue or the other. Mm-hmm. That they're more comfortable with, or that they feel works best for them, and that's okay. So the the ideal is a bit elusive, but um, you know, for for now, we're satisfied if if we if we meet them in one in at least one pathway that's impactful to them. Right. I remember. I think you're one of the first organizations I came across that has that sort of um, you know phone in for uh, advice, phone in for tips type model. So people, you know, as mm-hmm. you were saying, can actually call in and say, I've, I've got this issue. Um, and if they're a member, you know, that's part of the service they get from you is you're able to either help them on the phone or, or refer them uh, to somebody. I mean, is that continued to be a, uh, even in this, you know, web-driven world, is that continue to be a very strong part of your overall membership model? It, it really is. And it goes back again, I think looking back on it, we, we didn't really realize at the time that this was a form of peer learning. <laughs> you know, it really, it really is because it's so experience based and it's not just an answer. It's not just, you know, uh, how many employees do I have to have before I'm covered by the Family and Medical Leave Act? It's not that kind of uh, conversation. It's more uh, now that I'm covered by the Family and Medical Leave Act, I have employees that are abusing it in these three or four ways help talk me through that and tell me how other employers have dealt with those three or four practical problems on the job. So that's that's where our the, the person that's uh, received the call can help diagnose what's going on around the problem, what's the context of the problem. And then we've added to that, I think the next step, once once you once you start to view these conversations as peer learning, the next step is to is to bring in some some talent, which we've done, which who, who have worked in even larger companies, so they can bring some of that larger company process, larger op, company operations 
uh, to smaller company HR to help them to to grow because they're not going to grow with some of the self-defeating processes that they have. And so that's you know, bringing a voice into our membership that hasn't been here before. So it's all it's all part of that. And that that's interesting. So are these people that are on staff or are those contractors that, that you're bringing in in that role? The one I'm speaking of uh, here is really is somebody that's on staff that came out of a Fortune 500 company that is that developed a new content for us that we call Learn and Go. The idea being that these are these are sort of mid-level processes, sort of that bridge between tactical activity and strategic thought. The, that that thing that's in between that's called implementation and process, mm-hmm. and and he's written a lot of content, a lot of tools and templates, a lot of uh, things that people can take and learn and then go go put it in place and get it going with some limited conversation from him under that same telephone advice model. So you know it's um, really been so powerful once we once we bought into this concept of peer learning how how many tentacles it has. That, I think that's fascinating because you're really, I mean, you're developing talent around that now uh, internally to uh, empower you to deliver it and, and to deliver the, the value that it promises. Yeah. Interesting. Sure. And as you've, you know, come along with this and gotten into peer learning and kind of, you know, consider the direction you head in as an organization, um, I, I mean, I assume there's got to be some some change management that goes along in, in terms of, uh making sure your your board's on, on board, uh, the staff's on board. Um, I mean, how fluid has this evolution been for you? To what extent have you had to kind of step up as a leader and say, look, we're going in this direction, folks, and, and, and here's how we need to invest to make it happen? Well, that's a great question. So our, so our board is very supportive. The board is uh, made up of CEOs. They're not HR professionals, and HR is our typical topic zone we're working in day-to-day. And so what they're expecting us to do is to keep the model fresh, to keep it relevant. And that's and that's been our obligation to come to them and say, this is how we're, we're planning to do that, or this is how we are doing that. And they've been very affirming and supportive of that and glad that we're focused that way. Um, and the staff, you know, you get, uh, that's a, it's such a good question, Jeff, because you get, uh, you get all variety of responses, and, and, and it's not that the same person gives the same response every day. It's very situational. So somebody may have a phone call with uh, a member who asked the, that question about how many employees do I have to have to be covered by this federal law, and, uh, and, they, and they went the next step and asked a couple of open-ended questions that we recommend to see what the context of that question is. And they have a great experience with that. And they see that what was behind that question was much more impactful and, and moved that company and that professional forward rather than just uh, checking the box on that uh, compliance question. So you get, the, you get days like that where people see that, and then you get other days where, you know, they, they don't see that context, and they say, well, they were, you know, they were just asking this compliance question, and I let it drop there, and uh, didn't ask the open-ended to find the context. And uh, so you have, you know, a step forward and half a step back. Um, but it's understandable, because if somebody's spent their, uh, you know, their entire career answering questions, it's a bit of a change to... Um, layer in the uh, have that have that peer conversation that's interesting yeah to have to turn it around and ask some questions themselves and as you're saying those more open-ended uh, type mm-hmm. questions where you may get at something that wasn't as obvious uh, at first right interesting so you know obviously doing a lot with peer learning doing a lot uh, with this idea of uh, of collaboration um, and bringing you know the staff along as you look to the future what what are you seeing as some of the you know the 
the new opportunities or are there you know areas that you want to get into uh as far as learning and education uh, go that uh you know that you're only in the beginning stages of now or maybe haven't even you know put a toe in the water with yet yeah i think the biggest thing is uh something that we mentioned earlier is is some sort of alternate delivery model some sort of model that says you don't have to leave your uh, place of work or yes we can serve your outpost in uh nevada mm-hmm. uh you know, even though your headquarters is in North Carolina, we—that's—it's just very tough. We're spending a lot of time on that. We're trying to figure that out. We're trying to find successful models. We found pieces of successful models. Really, haven't seen a uh, uniform solution yet that we think would work uh, well for us. And and then you go into all the questions of, uh, you know, is it economically viable? Do right. people will people pay for what it costs to develop high quality? Uh, alternatively delivered um, peer-style learning. And and the jury's out on that. We're not sure yet. The answer could be no. Um, We think the answer's going to be yes, somewhat, and and growing over time, you know? Get in early early enough in it to do a good job and and learn from it. But, uh, you know, again, the, the jury's somewhat out on that. Love to hear your thoughts on that someday as well. well and, and do you feel like the economic question is, is the biggest one there? Um, I mean, if, if the economics are right, do you find you've got a membership that will do this, or are there still some hurdles to get over as far as that goes? Well, I think to uh, a little bit to the same extent that there's it's a subset of people that want to come be in a room in person and maybe spend two days or three days on a course. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's already not a majority willing to do that. So I, I don't think there's a majority that are that want or would embrace um, alternate delivery at the at the price points that'll probably be required to support it. But I think there'll be enough, and I think that that group is going to grow. Um, you're still going to have. The employer still, uh, this, regardless of what the the cost is to do the training, they st- are still going to have to, you know, put an emphasis on it. Um, they're going to have to give people time to to take the training. You know, mm-hmm. pay them pay them for that time while they take the training. <laughs> right. You know, all all the traditional hurdles are still there, other than perhaps a drive to a central location. And those hurdles are not insignificant. I was just with an employer today who said. Uh, they do not allow their supervisors more than 15 minutes uh, at a time on any kind of training or learning of that. Wow. That, that's, and, a, uh, that's a tough barrier to get past. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's a real hurdle. That's a wall, maybe. And, and is that, um, you know, coming from, I guess, maybe the idea that training is necessary, but maybe they don't in their heart of hearts believe it's truly effective or truly, you know, strategic to what they're trying to do as an organization, or is it just pure economics? I I think in that case, it's a combination of economics or or slash cost. Uh And, and I think frankly, the, the idea that, Hey, we've gotten this far this, this way. Right. Uh, what's the compelling reason? Yeah. I hear you. Well, let's switch gears for a minute because I know you're somebody who, you know, is obviously focused on your own organization and, and its success and growth, but um, that you're also engaged in the association community in general. I've run into you at uh, Association of Executives of North Carolina events and that sort of thing. And if you step back and, you know, think of somebody who just 
is a leader in the sector and, you know, knowing that continuing education and professional development, uh, that's, you know, that's obviously a, a, a key function that uh, associations play in our society and in our economy. In fact, I've often uh, talked about associations as being kind of a third leg of our education sector. But, I mean, things are definitely changing out there. I mean, it's, it's not a foregone conclusion that associations are going to continue to be the leaders in, in learning and education for the, the sectors they're serving. Members obviously have a, a lot more choices than, than they used to. So I guess the big question is, you know, from, from your perspective, what do associations and association leaders in particular need to be doing to ensure that they maintain a leadership role in life, lifelong learning? Right, because it varies a lot uh, whether an organization is into some sort of continuing credits kind of training, which mm-hmm. many of them are. That that's the that's the typical scenario for many associations. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, keeping up with that is is, a, is is one set of issues. I think that if the if the association is in the business of uh, helping their members to become much better professionals in their field or to impact their employers or their organizations at a higher level than they are. Uh, that it's a big challenge, and I don't know of a better method to do it than some sort of than some sort of peer learning. I think the association that's going to be uh, successful will either find uh, you know that continuing education niche, or will find this transformation niche, or will eventually fail because they're what they're providing is uh, you know uh, information dumps and yeah. uh, that kind of thing. I just can't imagine survives the revolution that we see out there in, in delivery of that kind of commodity training. Yeah, that, and that's an interesting dichotomy, I think, between, as you put it, the, the kind of continuing education where it is mandated or there, there is, you know, some level of um, compelling reason for uh, people in, in a particular industry to to do the continuing education. I think I think a lot of the organizations that are in that market have found that increasingly competitive because if, uh, if that mm-hmm. uh, need is there, um, it's going to mm-hmm. invite in competition. But then on the other hand, you know, you're talking about this idea of transformation, which uh, I find increasingly interesting you know how, how do you actually work as a, a voice within your field within your sector to truly help uh, organizations transform and, and go to uh, the next level and it sounds like you're you're very definitely focused on doing that with um, as uh, the peer learning initiatives as you think about um, you know kind of bringing it back back home again though um, I mean as you think about your own uh, lifelong learning habits. I mean, you're obviously a, a thoughtful guy and somebody's trying to keep on top of things. Um, so just at a personal level with your own lifelong learning, what, what are what are some of your habits? What are the things that you do consistently to make sure that you're staying on top of things and kind of know how to, to lead the organization forward? I'm really, I'm in uh, several peer groups. I'm industry peer groups uh, that are based on organizations very similar to us across the country. We meet in person. We meet by telephone. We have projects we do together. I've, I have been in CEO peer groups uh, through the, the Visage organization, for example, mm-hmm. with uh, really a good uh, peer learning process there. I, t- I got to tell you, the thing that, that I learned the most from is from uh, staking myself out, staking our team out. On a vision that's that the where the path is not entirely clear and mm-hmm. success is not is not certain, mm-hmm. that's the that's where you really do test each other and and test your growth and, and force a lot of things to happen both from a learning perspective as well as a behavioral and activity perspective that you really would never have gotten to if you hadn't had that stake in the ground and um, that's that's probably the, the the thing that that I enjoy the most and I'm doing the most of today. 
So you're, you're willing to make yourself and, and I guess some of the others around you a little bit uncomfortable with the idea that that's, that's going to promote learning. Sure, 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 and success. I think it's uh, all wrapped up. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, great. Well, Bruce, it's been a pleasure talking with, with you as always. Um, before we wrap up, I wanted to make sure that uh, folks know how to find uh, CAI uh, so they can you know, look into what you're doing with, with peer learning and, and uh, just sure. find out about the organization. And then also you know, where they might be able to find you online if they, want, if they wanted to connect with you. Sure. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, Bruce Clark with an E on Clark. So I'm on LinkedIn uh, in Raleigh, North Carolina. It's a good uh, thing to run with that search. And uh, capital.org, C-A-P-I-T-A-L.org is our uh, organization's website. You can get uh, my email and, and other contact information and phone numbers through that and certainly appreciate and would welcome uh, any kind of questions or inquiry from your audience. Well, great. I was, I've always thought it was kind of amazing that you managed to get capital.org as your domain. Somebody was thinking ahead back in the day, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. right. Yeah, it's an old one. It really is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, great. Well, thanks so much, Bruce. Thank you, Jeff. Take care. So that wraps up our interview with Bruce Clark. To get show notes for this episode, just go to leadinglearning.com slash episode 15. That's the number 15. While you're there, you will also see various options for subscribing to the podcast. And we really hope that you will take just a minute to do that, to subscribe if you're getting some value out of the podcast. And we'd also be grateful if you'd take a minute to give us a rating on iTunes. Um, we ask that with just about every episode, and we truly hope that you will take a moment to, to go and do that. We'd appreciate it. It makes us feel good about our work, um, but it also helps others, more importantly, to find the podcast. Uh, if you've given it some recognition out there, it's going to come up in the, in the search engines when folks are looking. And please also consider telling others about the podcast. You can send a tweet by going to leadinglearning.com slash share. That will uh, auto-populate some text you can use for tweeting, or you can just grab that text and use it in your social network of choice if tweeting isn't your thing. So that's it. Thanks again, and we will see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast. Podcast.